After the year 2020, the Spoiler Room crew thought things were going to cool down. But they are just heating up. Cannon fodder. We're in the shit now. Listen in as this elite group of cinema special forces take on an army of cannon group films. What the hell are we watching? I don't know. I can't take my eyes off it. Prepare yourself for urban action. Kung Fu action. Action, action. There will be car chases, ninja, and of course, movie spoilers in Cannon Fodder. Happy Fodder's Day. And yes, folks, we are live here at the Spoiler Room. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and sitting down with us with your favorite drink to talk movie spoilers. And tonight, ah, it's, hey, hey, we've all got drinks tonight. It is, it is bittersweet, folks. We are closing out 2021. It is our last episode. And I thought, what more appropriate way to close out a year where we've talked about far more canon films than I ever planned on talking about this year, uh, just by coincidence. Uh, why not close it out by talking about what the last film theatrically released by Canon Group uh, called American Cyborg Steel Warrior, I believe 1993. And to join me, not only is my right-hand man, Mr. Ian Simmons here. Say hello, Ian. Hello, Ian. There you go. But we also have back with us friend of the spoiler room and author of the Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, soon Volume 2, to be released early next year. It is none other than Mr. Austin Trunick. Austin, thank you for coming back to talk about films. Hey, thanks for having me on the grand finale of the of the season. <laughs> I, I thought it would be a great way to just close things out. Let's just say that way. And I was so glad you could make it. And tonight, yes, American, sorry, American Cyborg Steel Warrior or American uh, Steel Cyborg Warrior, depending on how you read the title that was at the beginning of this film. <laughs> but Ian, you get a you get a reprieve. Mr. Austin, you Thank are... God. Thank God, Mark. I was hoping you would not do this to me. <laughs> you, Austin, I'm sorry. You are the guest here, sir. <laughs> Add the kid and guru. Please tell my fine listeners what American Cyborg Steel Warrior is about. Oh, boy. Well, 17 years after World War III, after... I forget I, I forget the exact terminology. It was the, the big flash or the big boom or something. Wipes... Nuclear war wipes out lots of most of life on the planet and renders all humans sterile. And in the meantime, sometime in there, a AI has taken over the world and the robots that were meant to help humans go. And they, they basically start taking out all the humans that are left or hurting them into cities to just die out. And where a movie starts is there's an underground lab, a woman, has been found to be the last fertile woman on earth and they harvest her eggs make a test tube baby put it in this little like very portable capsule which she needs to get across the city of charleston south carolina just very specific setting there <laughs> to the ocean so she can load it on this little boat going to europe 
where the baby can grow in an artificial womb and basically start a new a new race of untainted humans. Yes. And the whole time she's chased by a killer cyborg um, who just wants to be works for this evil AI. It's, it's never very clear in the movie, but his mission is to kill her. And along the way, she is helped by a kind man with a secret that is even a secret to him, but who just, just a real tough badass who <laughs> volunteers to take her and her her, her two baby to the uh, the ocean to get up on a boat. So <laughs> that's that's actually I think more plot than there is in the actual actual movie. It's 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 a lot of people fighting and fighting, running for a bit, fighting, running for a bit, fighting again and. We're splashing around in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. American Cyborg Steel Warriors. It's well done. Yeah, that is more thought than I think they actually put into this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Austin, do you remember when you first saw this film? Gosh. Um, I, I honestly don't. A lot mm-hmm. of canon movies, I have a clear memory of people I watch them with, but... There are also so many early 90s cyborg movies that I think I watched this with a buddy, maybe in middle school, but I also might be thinking of Nemesis. I, I'm not sure. Um, so first time, I can't tell you. I, sure. I know that I watched it mm-hmm. a few years back, early on when I was going through just Boaz Davidson's canon movies working on the book. But yeah, the... the I wish I could tell you the first time, but no, I'm not sure if it was this movie or Nemesis that I was watching. <laughs> and and what about you, Ian? First time was this morning? No, uh, it was yesterday and ah. today. I had to split up into two like 45 minute <laughs> segments, just because you know it's Christmas. I've got other obligations. Yeah, that's true. But this movie was uh, a gift to me. So you know, I, I thank the cosmos. I thank you for recommending that we watch this. Um, I. Help me out here, because I feel like this can't be an original thought, but maybe it is. Am I the only one who thinks that the cyborg, who played wonderfully by John St. Ryan in this movie, is a dead ringer for Ted Turner in, like, leather bondage here? What the (laughs) fuck is going on with this movie? It's Ted Turner. I'm about to get Google image search Ted Turner in leather bondage gear See what comes no, up. Well, safe search on. Safe search on. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, for me, I saw this in the theater, actually, when it came out. It was so you were the one. I was the one in Wisconsin, I think, that saw it. I remember when it came out. It wasn't everywhere. It was like at one theater in, in Milwaukee, and I went and I saw it. And that, then I saw it, and that, that was it. And I had the poster for it. That's the most that I've ever really watched. But it stuck with me, not only the title, but some of the things going on, like the test tube baby that we have, that it, it's just so wild watching this film because you're like, you see so many other movies. They're totally modeling it, yet not off of, obviously, the, the obvious one, Terminator. I mean, evil AI, 
Terminators, you know, cyborgs working for the evil AI. Um, but this has got to be, I think, Ian, the worst cyborg as far as targeting and shooting goes that has ever graced the screen. <laughs> well, it's it's selective because, you know, when he first busts into the lab, he kills everybody. It's just that when he tries to shoot the one woman he's supposed to shoot, he gets like stormtrooper aim. I mean, it's it's really strange. Um, I, I don't know. I I think what I'm, I'm curious about, and I don't know that we'd ever know because the people who created the movies I'm about to mention would never cop to it. But, uh, you know, Alfonso Coran and Mick G, who made Children of Men and Terminator Salvation, respectively, those there are ideas for those movie from those films in this movie. The idea of the Terminator who doesn't know he's a Terminator, the idea of, you know, all of mankind is mysteriously, well, I guess not so mysteriously in this case, there's nuclear war, but infertile, but then there's the one woman who needs to be ferry, get to a safe ferry to be taken across to Europe so that scientists can restart the human race. That's children of men. Like, the plot of this movie was made into films that were, well, nominated for Academy Awards, <laughs> uh, at least in special effects, I think, for Terminator Salvation, but uh, certainly not for anything else. But, yeah, it's just it's very odd to watch this and have this crazy sense of deja vu. I'm, I'm all for it because I always say, like, you can take a bad movie and turn it into a, a great one. Um, but, yeah, it's just very strange in this case. <laughs> now, uh Austin, what about you with our, our our Terminator here? I mean, are they going for ripping off Arnold? I mean, it sure feels like it. I mean, thinking of canon at this point, they probably looked at a few marketable points. They've got a some very cheap uh, empty factories they can shoot in in Tel Aviv. So let's make it a post-apocalyptic movie. Um, we no longer have the rights to cyborg but we can call it cyborg and people still might think it's a sequel to cyborg so we can rip ourselves off in that way a little bit and then yeah i think they saw terminator and thought let's let's make a terminator character like our villain and and i think they probably just said okay here's the money go do it <laughs> that was probably the three like three ultimatums they had no, they, they they actually I one of the things I came across while researching it the funniest part to me is that the most of this movie was shot in a chemical plant <laughs> <laughs> a wrecked chemical plant in Tel Aviv that had um, produced a lot of detergents a lot of industrial strength <laughs> detergents so when you're watching this and keep keep when you're rewatching it again obviously which. Uh, you want to do probably tomorrow. <laughs> oh yeah. Go ahead yeah. and yeah, just keep thinking that they're in this like gross, soapy smelling environment. That's probably not safe for any of them. <laughs> well, I it's now that I'm thinking about the the element they ripped off of Alien, where the cyborg you know it has the white, milky kind of blood. I'm wondering if that's just you know Clorox bleach. Or that was a special effect. You're just going to pour soap down this guy's face. Something that just dripped on him from a vat on the next floor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, Austin, I mean, it's put officially under the Canon Group. It's considered the, the last theatrical release of Canon Group films. But this wasn't uh, Golan and Globus, was it? No. Menachem Golan was long gone at this point. 
He left in early 1989, formed 21st Century Film Corporations. That was after Canon was taken over by basically this Italian scam artist, um, Giancarlo Peretti. And he also bought New World. He bought MGM. He put all this money into uh, DEG. And he's, he's just, he's, there's a crazy, st- there's so many crazy stories that you can read about him. But part of it was he bought Canon and Golan, I think he was, I guess, sort of pushed out, but also I think he might have seen the writing <laughs> on the wall. He didn't want to be there anymore. So he left and formed 21st Century, right. which put out some fantastic films like the 1990 Captain America and um, <laughs> yeah, some some really beautiful stuff. The Night of the Living Dead remake, which I legitimately love. Actually, but... <laughs> that was, that's actually really good, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, that's with the, the Tom Savini, right? Yeah, 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 Tom Savini, and um, yeah, it's it's excellent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they he, Legon was gone. Globus was still there. Um, mm-hmm. This was produced by Global Pictures, which was actually Yoram uh, Globus's mm-hmm. um, sort of little production company. He made a lot of movies, especially in uh, Israel, using their studios they had over there to produce them. And they were then Canon would pick them up and distribute them because at this time. Yoram had actually left Canon, become the president of MGM for a very short nine-month period, and then wow. was fired from there and was really just sort of making these little low-budget pictures, which his old company would then put out <laughs> for him. It, and see, this is what I loved about your book and yes i'm plugging the book folks you should check it out uh but i love the book and just love the story of canon and i think people don't quite understand why many people have the fascination with this company because it's just it's it is crazy the path it takes considering how most hollywood companies play out i mean they're kind of oh this guy you know he bought out or whatnot but this the stories that you have in in the book and i can't wait for volume two uh are wild and you know you look at this film and this film reminded me of uh, american cyborg steel warrior reminded me of like full moon quality like what they were producing at the time like with the music the cheesy electronic synth they probably bought for cheap uh, <laughs> you know the setting is a very you could tell they re- literally reuse like three set pieces in here including this like alley with a fence they visited mm-hmm. at least twice. Um, they reuse the sets, cheesy music, very small cast in front of the camera outside of what we get in the beginning. It kind of reminded me of Full Moon. I mean, were they, they, was Full Moon maybe part to blame for Canon maybe uh, falling behind and, and fading away? Because they were on their rise at this point. Uh, well, Canon was really at this point just scraping by to survive um and i think that was more just themselves shooting themselves repeatedly (laughs) in the foot over the course of the prior six years leading up to american cyborg steel warrior but yeah at at this point they were making these really direct-to-video quality and a lot of times they would send them out still send them out to theaters because they had uh contractual obligations Sure. to the people that they sold them to in other countries, to the cable companies that bought them, that this, these were, these were theatrical films. They weren't direct to video films that they were buying. Right. American cyborg still warrior actually got a surprisingly robust release for 
the very end of Canon's <laughs> lifespan. It, I think it played in 45 states, which is mm-hmm. incredible for uh, a film from this period. But yeah, it was the last one. They actually, um, they had planned to send Hellbound, mm-hmm. which was yeah. the Chuck Norris movie. One of the uh, same screenwriters from American Steelwork, uh, Steel, uh, Cyborg Steel Warrior, yeah. um, Brent Friedman, had written Hellbound. But they had actually meant to send that to theaters after this. And they sent out posters, promotional materials, but the movie never came mm. because they had totally imploded by by that <laughs> point. So this ended up being, they didn't know it was going to be their last, Canon's last hurrah, but it was. <laughs> but it, it, it's so Canon in so many ways. I mean, from, from the music to, you know, I think I think part of what gets me with this film, besides the ever-growing shoulder pads of our Terminator, which, <laughs> am I the only one that noticed that? Like, his jacket would change from seat, like, he'd be poofy shoulders, and then no poofy shoulders, and then he'd back to be poofy shoulders again. Like, with in the same seat, it's like, what the hell? It's, uh, it's that futuristic technology we can't even grasp right now, <laughs> like, how that works, but, you know. But, you know, it just, it, it it's... It, you've got the cheesy dialogue. You've got, you know, all these elements, the, the gonzo action scenes, which even though it's normally between these two individuals, the action sequences in here are interesting for the effects they're doing. I mean, they're doing practical effects in here as well. Uh, Ian, were you surprised by some of the practical effects for the budget that this film appears to be? Yeah, I mean, I had this this thought watching this movie several, you know, several times watching this thing is it made me feel like anybody can make a movie, but it also made me feel like making movies is really hard Yeah. because as much <laughs> as it, it and I, I mean, this is a compliment though, because as much as there's the, the kind of these sets that are reused and, you know, it's obviously abandoned buildings that someone found. It's like, well, anybody could scrounge together a bunch of friends and equipment and go, you know, shoot a movie with what they have. And many people have done that to great effect. But then when you look at say some of the fight sequences, like uh, there's the bit where um, our hero, and this is why I think our guest is really on tonight, Austin, the protagonist. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had forgotten until I rewatched the movie this morning. Like, I, oh, I, as, did, as did I. I totally forgot. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> but Austin is fighting this mutant cannibal guy like on a rooftop and there's like a fall down a shaft and the, the baby uh, fetus capsule is you know, <laughs> hanging in the balance. But leading up to that, the fighting, it, it, it's really well done and well choreographed. And the people who are doing this are talented. It's not completely cheesy. There's some genuine you know, drama and tension. I mean, ultimately, you know how things are going to work out in a movie like this. But the scene where say austin is fighting the the ted turner robot uh above another elevator shaft they they love the shafts in this movie and turner bot grabs austin's arm and starts ripping it off i was like oh my god this is <laughs> this is sort of the revelation that he's a cyborg but before we get to that I'm like no he's just ripping off the main hero's <laughs> arm it's bloody it's gross and i hadn't seen that before i've seen a hundred movies where the the bad guys are wrestling over a chasm and one's hanging on to the other guy and trying to pull him down, but I've not seen that before. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That's such a they drag that shot out so much, make it really gruesome. Because if you don't know, it's it's you're gritting your teeth there. So yeah, it's popping off. Yeah, 
Oh. Well, it, that's probably where a lot of the budget went was for that one effects shot. So they wanted to get some mileage out of it. <laughs> yeah. You Between know. that and the the animated shot of the fetus smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the logic behind this fetus is, is insane because they set up in the beginning of the film. She has to stop and feed him every few hours. I don't think we've we ever said she took the baby aside and went off. But we don't know how was it through paste? Did she pump? What? I, I don't know. That's I'm kind of glad that they left that out. It's kind of like in the TV show 24. Like, when did Jack Bauer ever go to the bathroom? And the answer is during the commercial breaks, like whatever they weren't showing. I don't need to see her feeding this kid. However, do they do it. Kid. No. Yeah, kid. This. <laughs> I, I don't understand the logic behind her, not her carrying it. I mean... Outside of what being a MacGuffin, uh, it's it's they don't establish that. I mean, but we've kind of gotten that in some canon films before, where explanation for pretty much any logic kind of seems to take a, a, a you know back seat. It's in a different vehicle, Mark. It's a different vehicle <laughs> altogether. But you don't care because you got a big cyborg and you're he's fighting. You know, the guy who doesn't know he's a cyborg, which, Austin, they, they they spoil the movie in the title, if you think about it. If you're a sci-fi fan, American Cyborg, Steel Warrior, it's like, come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you well, know. Wait, ahead, let's, let's pull over, Mark. What? I I am an astute, bona fide film critic, pinkies up. I did not see this coming. I really, I, th I just thought the title was just some nonsense, like, like Mad Libs canon movie title. I did not put it together that Austin was going to be like to turn out to be a cyborg. And maybe that's just because I watched it in two parts, both starting at like, you know, four o'clock in the morning. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was a nice surprise to me. But yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and for me, I, I kind of saw it come, but. I didn't mind this guy, this lead. What did you think of Austin? What did you think of your namesake character in this film, Austin? Our 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 hero, especially in regards to the pantheon of canon heroes that we've had. I mean, he's very much in the the Van Damme vein. I think they really sort of tried to write him similar to uh Van Damme's character in Cyborg, mm -hmm. but he's the man who doesn't talk much for quite a long time. I don't think we see him until 20-some right. minutes into the movie. <laughs> but, I mean, his real job is just to kick guys in cool ways and, you know, smash the uh, the cyborg assassin with a pipe at every opportunity. And he does that <laughs> all that stuff very well, and he looks, looks good doing it. He, so, he, I had no complaints. <laughs> he did. I mean, he used his environment, and there were a lot of pipes. So there's a lot of pipe fight in this film. It kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, wait, look, he's grabbing another pipe, which in all honesty is actually something you don't always see in an action film is that someone actually continuously using their environment. You're always like, you know, I'll watch occasional films where I'm like, right there, just just grab the thing. Just gra You know, and they won't. This guy's grabbing like pipes and wrench, whatever he could get near him to, to bang on this uh, android who is vulnerable until he isn't. Uh, 
I like the what is it an anvil or some something that falls on his head and there's a, I had to rewind it because I thought the stream glitched or something. It does a freeze frame right as it hits the impact on his head. I'm like, what is that? And I went back and yeah, sure enough, there's this weird freeze frame. It's not even to catch like a cool gore effect or anything. It's just like there's like a bad splice or something. Well, yeah, because our our hero, uh, our heroine, uh, carrying the 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 baby in a box. Uh, Mary, uh, she dropped the an- the engine on him, and I I like that. Oh, it was an engine, right? Yeah, yeah, it was an engine. Uh, but I was hoping to see like some cool effect, you know, after he gets up before he heals. But you don't get that. You get ripped off. It's like, oh, come on, give me some Terminator type looking. I mean, well, you got that at the very end. I would imagine uh, that that was too early in the movie for them to have an effect like that, that they would then have to carry on throughout the rest of the film. Like they can do it for one scene at the end on the beach where you see his face peeled away. But, you know, that other stuff that costs money. I did like the fact that even though it is a Terminator ripoff of you see the eye, of course, you know, the, the metal endoskeleton underneath the flesh, this appeared to be like almost like a Cylon, like one white strip of a visor underneath, like running along both eyes instead of just like two eyes, you know, glowing red eyes underneath. I thought that was kind of neat. There are things about this movie, like idea wise and design wise, I think are, you know, much better than anything else going on in the film itself. For example, the idea that, as you mentioned um, in the setup, uh, Austin, that these cyborgs were initially built to help mankind in the Terminator mythos. I know they kind of fudged around with it in Terminator three, that the idea of like drones and stuff that we create would turn against humanity and and kind of help blow things up. Uh, But the human cyborg killers, those were developed by Skynet after the war to be infiltration units. Mm -hmm. The idea here, I think, is that they, you know, mankind just developed cyborgs is, you know, like probably like maids and stuff and, you know, ships captains or whatever, that they were reprogrammed to to take us out. I just thought that was kind of a, a neat idea, not something that was built after the war, but beforehand and kind of maybe led to our downfall, um, which I also need to know. Maybe you guys have insight here. Uh, why is Europe this like? great place of sunshine and rainbows where the biggest you know issue is like oh is is the resistance big enough and not is the nuclear fallout killing everybody over there too <laughs> it's only 17 years nuclear fallout only lasts uh as long as the plot needs it to be um <laughs> i guess so because i was thinking like did was it just america that got nuked but no it sounded like it was a global thing but I'm like how how is europe any safer to to raise a child than the wastelands of south carolina I'll leave that to Austin. Any idea? I have no idea. <laughs> Except our producers are from Europe. Well, they're from Central, you know, from the Middle East. But still, they're from not the U.S. So, of course, anywhere not U.S. is going to be better than the U.S., right? Well, you can tell they did their homework because, um, spoiler alert, when they do finally get to the ship and the French scientists are there hooking up the baby to their gizmo, uh, they went really in-depth on the on the French language. They say, we, uh, oui, très magnifique, uh, très bien. That's all they say. I, anyway. Yeah. Were you expecting um, more? I mean... It's just, you know... 
it just kind of falls in line with the the kind of like the low budget canonness of the films that I've come to know and love over this the course of this year because I've not had much exposure to canon prior to you know going on this particular adventure with you and and part of that Austin is and thanks to your book which Mark references at any given opportunity and well deservedly Thank so you. but it just seems like I could just see the canon guy saying yeah we got some international we got European scientists okay they're gonna be French because that's that says Europe. <laughs> Um, what can they say? Well, we're not going to hire a translator. Again, that costs money. What What is some? What is some, what do French people say? Oh, uh, très bien, I très magnifique. We, oui. we'll just okay. Done. That's the script that we got. The third act written already. What was really great about that scene too is you had the French guys and then the one American who stood out like a sore thumb when you had to actually understand what people were saying because he gets the baby's like, oh, good, it's still alive. Like in the most. <laughs> <laughs> then he somehow hooks it up to like this vacuum tube that's on the bottom instead of the top. And we watched the counter go down because, folks, they only had 36 hours before the baby could die in this this tube, which it literally is. It's like a tube. If you ever seen Doctor Who, uh, the 10th Doctor, when he walked around with the container with his hand in a container that with the bubbly water, that's what this is for the baby. But the baby doesn't, it doesn't like come out of the tube or they don't put it on top of another tube and like a release valve. There's this flex tube <laughs> leading to the container that the baby's supposed to be put in. And if you think about it, you're like, it's supposed to, tra it travels around and then it plunk. <laughs> and it just, ah. <laughs> it's one of the, oh, it, it... Another thing that cracks me up whenever I think about this watching now is Glenn Kenny reviewed this when it came out for EW. Uh -huh. And in his review, he talks about how he, he mentions that the baby is being carried around in, in that little vacuum thing you get at the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Then, and that's what they put it in at the end. And it looks just like one of those. It just sort of sucks it down and <laughs> closes it up. They had that's they they. They had to repurpose the technology they had. That's, that's <laughs> what guess. it might have been one of those things. I love that Mary, the entire time she's going around this movie, she's got the backpack, which contains the little life support unit. But at the top of that, I don't know if it's supposed to be a sleeping bag, but it's a damn yoga mat. Like, <laughs> roll, it's like I have the purple yoga mat she was carrying around during the apocalypse 10 feet away from me in this basement. I don't know what's going on in this movie. <laughs> I don't think they knew what was going on in this movie. I mean, they hit all the post-apocalyptic tropes, too, because at one point we run across a gang of cannibals because when you have nuclear fallout, it breeds cannibals. <laughs> Austin, yes. what, do you th what do you think of this group of cannibals that we get? <laughs> the mummy cannibals or something, too. They're all They're, wrapped up. And... Yeah, there's mummy cannibals and then there's mutant cannibals who decide to string her up and then not eat the baby right away i don't <laughs> now, you want to save you want to save the filet mignon that's not uh, I, I, I guess. special occasion now i'm not sure who played the head cannibal guy but uh he was making the most of his scenes i mean <laughs> he gets mark to, we are we, we often talk about the difference between like 1990s movies and 2021. I was so taken out of this when the head cannibal guy like licks all along <laughs> Mary's face. I'm like, what was that like? 
was that rehearsed? Did they have to do multiple rehearsals? Because I can just I can't see anyone being like, yeah, we're just gonna let this guy in this gross makeup just lick all over you. Eh, I don't think so. <laughs> it is a canon film, though. <laughs> yes, yes, well, very true. Yeah. Distributed anyway. Uh, so you mentioned Austin. They filmed this in Tel Aviv. Was the whole thing filmed then in in Tel Aviv? The the entire movie or? Yes, uh, to, to my knowledge. Wow. Yeah, it was all filmed around in the same little area. And, <laughs> and, and extreme heat. I know it was extremely hot there while they were shooting it, too, which shooting in an old an old uh, detergent plant probably was not pleasant when it was well, <laughs> 100 degrees outside. And we all know Canon was making sure that there was safety involved with all their... <laughs> Yeah. There, were there any major accidents on this one, Austin? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of, surprisingly. Sure. I mean, there's there are very few canon movies that weren't accidents on, but I'm not, <laughs> to my knowledge, there was not. It, it That just boggles my mind how many accidents reading, you know, about it in your book and then catching online to just, you know, accidents everywhere it's like why would people still come to work for them that i mean i i, I mean so many of these movies were shot overseas with non-union crews so i mean some countries that you know you were working with people who maybe had experience from a local tv channel or something that hadn't shot movies before sure. um some of the you you just you're just feel very fortunate when they shot something in say the Philippines where there's an experienced film crew. We think of American right. Ninja because they, they, they had all been trained for apocalypse now. Mm -hmm. Like they all worked on that. So they had worked on a legitimate, uh, you know, all the right. safety protocols imagined. And before they came to work right. for a company that was looking to shoot something as fast and cheap as possible. But yeah, it's I, I honestly I don't know. Some of these people come back too after they were hurt <laughs> on the movies. You talk to some of these stuntmen and they talk about being carried out in stretchers and then coming back like six months later once they could like walk normally again to like oh fall off a roof in an explosion. And it's crazy, crazy. Well, we were talking about uh, you know uh, Ninja Three uh, domination last week. And the insane stunts that they had going on with that one, and I'm looking, how did anyone not die? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Steve Steve Lambert. I mean, just a brilliant man, but in the, in the stunts department, and just also a very safety oriented man. He knows yeah. he knows you can get hurt, right? And he's, but he's also not afraid of it he's doing everything he can to make sure they don't which is great you you gotta admire stunt coordinators who have that have that mindset and right. that safety in the back of their mind how far can i push it before it's too dangerous because you have so many people who unfortunately especially on cam movies just don't <laughs> just didn't <laughs> didn't have enough safety in mind and yeah people people got hurt or people uh you know yeah bad things happened i guess money is just a big motivator when they just throw money at you you, you, <laughs> you come mm -hmm. back <laughs> i don't know well now that i'm thinking about this i mean there is that scene where mary runs into carp 
yeah. the character who it suggested is a lesbian. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> Carp. All right. So but she runs into Carp later in the film. And is it acid rain? Is that what was going on there? Because she gets electrocuted by touching the <laughs> running right up to the wired fence. And then all of a sudden there's like rain coming down. It's like hot and they got to get out of it. And then she's pouring like water all over herself seductively. Uh, now that I know that that was in a uh, you know, <laughs> detergent factory, I'm wondering if that was <laughs> if that was a downy pour. Um, but yeah i i had to do it but you know i'm just wondering what what was in that water yeah Uh, (laughs) i i don't know because i think they had rain before and nothing was burning but now we had rain again and this time it's burning (laughs) right i didn't understand what what was i missing there but remember to cure acid rain all you have to do is take your bottle of water and pour it over yourself that will (laughs) that will cure the acid rain <laughs> and on top of that it, like at the end in the climax i mean they're like flopping around the ocean wouldn't that have more <laughs> nuclear garbage in its content i mean they all should have looked like the end of that emil at the end of robocop i and mean jesus i i think we're giving this way too deeper thought than <laughs> i'm sorry i, I had shit. my brain on watch, watching this movie it was a mistake which again is funny is i mean I guess it always felt to me like Canon is at least taking the app. They wanted to be the big ones, right, Austin? They wanted to be like one of the big, huge mm-hmm. studios. And even though they maybe got to there a little bit, their films, though, I found as cheesy and as bad as most of them were made, they're still entertaining in the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. what what's with that formula? Because people, I think, try it now, and they fail because they're deliberately being cheesy. Is it because Canon was legitimately feeling they were making honest films, like serious films, and they these weren't? <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the people that they brought, they hired the, to work with them. They really... Gave a lot of shots either to their two favorite types of filmmakers were the young, hungry guys mm-hmm. who had talent, but you know had no opportunity yet. And you think like Sam Furstenberg, who did some made right. some great movies on these low budgets. And then their other variety is they had a lot of old directors who hadn't been able to work in a long time. And you get guys like Jay Lee Thompson, who gets to have this great run of making movies again after he'd had a you know a rough a rough patch mm-hmm. in his career and. I think genuinely that like the people who worked for Canon, most of them really were excited to be making movies and you can, <laughs> that comes out in the films. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Canon. I mean, as for like Golan Globus, like I, I think Golan loved making movies and mm-hmm. Globus loved selling them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as long as those two things were working a, a lot along together. They made. They were making fun movies. It's 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 after the cousin split when, yeah. when it gets much rougher than it was in those, <laughs> those early years. Yeah, that's the one thing is that they are fun movies. It's it, you, you can't help but enjoy it. You would think sitting down, all oh, this is going to be, and you find yourself entertained. Even with this movie, I watching it again now, I was entertained. I mean, there there's some fun bits in here. Even with its look, it reminded me even more so of Asylum. Now that you mention it, Austin, the the approach Asylum Pictures takes with hiring actors and directors who may not 
get the work anymore. I mean, was it Planet Dune had, was it Sean Young in it? <laughs> you know? what? It's like, well, I, I could remember the last movie Sean Young starred in, and she's in, you know, an asylum picture. And thinking more about asylum, like, wow, that's that's just like canon. They given actors an opportunity, and in the case of some, like, you know, uh, Chuck Norris and, and Charles Bronson, some money. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I would think that the the key difference, I mean, I think that is a great connection there, but like Canon films, and again, I don't have nearly the depth as, as you find, gentlemen, but they, even though they might have been inspired by other things or chasing kind of trends in, you know, mainstream pictures, like this is, this has Terminator written all over it. The asylum pictures are still like, hey, here's a blockbuster coming out called Dune. We're going to have Planet Dune. <laughs> You've got a Transformers movie coming out. We're going to do three Transmorphers movies. Like they're just like, sort of parody ripoffs sure, with yeah. titles you know not not even parodies just like blatant ripoffs of low budgets the canon films that I, and i i like you know some asylum films i love you know mm -hmm. some of them um but with the the canon movies kind of like what i was saying earlier before i can feel the the love of people you get the feeling like people are excited to be getting to go around making movies like i could be digging ditches but instead i'm running through a, an abandoned detergent factory watching a guy like beat up a cyborg get <laughs> his arm ripped off it just feels like fun even though it's kind of trashy like it's a it's a great you know diversion and i don't feel like i'm being insulted watching i feel like the people made it really wanted to entertain folks that that yeah. That, I agree. That was what's kind of missing. You do still get your stereotypical post-apocalyptic uh, ladies of the evening in this film, but there still wasn't like, you know, what you might associate with a film with this title in the early 90s, gratuitous nudity. Mm. You, you don't actually get that in there. Would that be possibly because they're in Tel Aviv, <laughs> maybe shooting? Hmm. I I don't know, but I was surprised they didn't go that far, you know, like I mean the most we get is is cannibal guy licking her, which you know, uh what do you think of our, our heroine Mary Austin? She for I mean it's early nineties, they're kind of it's sci fi, so you do have kind of a strong female character. She is kind of a, a strong female character written for a movie to where she needs this, you know, she has a steel warrior to protect her. What do you think about how Mary was written in this film? I mean, she, uh, Nicole Hansen, who plays the part, she really has the, she carries this movie. The plot mm. is about her. Austin barely speaks for much of it. And when he does speak, it's just uh, <laughs> mainly, mainly just to these revelations suddenly in love. But um, she's, I mean, the, the, the movie, the, the carrying what little plot there is, is on her shoulders mm. and. Yeah, I think she does a, a a good job at it. The the protective mother angle, I was surprised, was a lot stronger with her character than I expected. You know, like she just mm -hmm. she really abandons anything and goes after you know to protect her baby more so than what you might see. Like when they they grab her bag or whatever, it's like she's still fighting. It's like sometimes you get the mm -hmm. oh they grab the bag and oh what are they going to do with the bag while they take her off somewhere else or whatnot. But she's she's fighting i mean yeah i mean she does come in as some like really 
essential parts. I mean, she does spend a lot of the movie getting snatched or well, yeah. stuck in traps and things like that, but that's what you'd expect from any action movie. But she does have the point where, you know, she's he's battling the cannibal on the roof and the baby rolls off and somehow she's under the in the window underneath, <laughs> right where she's she kind of looks up and right smiles back. like yeah. <laughs> I mean, she yeah, she she carries her carries her weight there. She's <laughs> Yeah, and the, most of the time she's getting captured because she's going off on her own. She's not sticking with someone. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come in and be the party crasher on the Nicole Hansen love fest. I agree, the Mary character <laughs> is is a good character, but in terms of the performance, my God, I, uh, <laughs> no, I can't, I can't, you, I can't. You weren't feeling can't it. Can't join on that boat. No, you, you no, feeling this one. <laughs> no, not at all. The little beauty mark did the more heavy lifting in the uh, the, the chops <laughs> department. See, that's his pinky up, you know, criticism going on. <laughs> Just kidding. Look, look, I'm not saying that that Austin, the not you, but Austin, the the long haired hero guy of this movie was any great shakes either. In fact, <laughs> the first half of the movie, I thought he was like the love child of like Lorenzo Lamas and Mark Dacascos. But then when we got like more close ups, I was like, oh, it's just Henry Cavill in The Witcher. Um, but, you know, in terms of his delivery, when they're on screen together, first of all, there's a whole stretch where the Ted Turner cyborg robot disappears and the movie just kind of dies. And then it comes back to life when he reappears. <laughs> but when the two, our two leads are together, you know, I get the feeling that they're coming from two different acting schools. He's like kind of earnest and sincere and intense. And she's just like, I don't know. I, I not quite Valley, but there's something very California about this performance that I just, now she's, there's no way she survived 17 years of a nuclear Holocaust. Well, no, she she we find out she was adopted. Remember, she was taken in by the science lab folks. So and that's yeah, but that was with that was during the 17 years of the nuclear holocaust. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and she managed to still find some stylish clothes to wear, which when we first see her in the beginning, I just love it. Like everybody else is in lab coats and everything. And she's supposed to be like the 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 first fertile woman. And they just did surgery like they've raised this tube baby and yet she's dressed out like she's going to the club <laughs> in a ver- in a red dress that was or a red outfit that was very re- reminiscent of Christana Lokens from Terminator 3 Rise yeah, of the Machines exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found that funny as everybody else is in like lab coats or kind of dirty you know because it's supposed to pop but she, she's all like styling and I'm just like wait what <laughs> you know and then, then we get baby baby puppet which I don't get it. <laughs> a baby. That was the most disturbing thing. I was like, why? And it wasn't it an animation company that specifically did this Austin. They're, they're like credited yeah. separately. Yeah. They get a top credit right at the front of the film for their, you know, their shots of that baby, <laughs> <laughs> which tells you they probably didn't get paid or probably only got paid a little bit for those, <laughs> those shots because they got that, that sort of credit at the top of the movie. But it's exposure. I, yeah. They're paying when exposure, right? <laughs> you call it credit. I call it blame. I feel like there's like fine type, like for all complaints, please write to. Um, 
I liked in terms of the effects. I thought we don't really see them past like the earlier scenes of the movie, but um, the cyborg keeps using these uh, terminals, mm -hmm. like with the like these molded hand terminals, like interface and like find out information. I thought that was kind of a, a cool idea, um, although the molding on it looked like it was <laughs> like they were made out of clay or something. I don't know, <laughs> not not exactly metal. <laughs> the, the the fabrics, yeah, the the the. The guys who were building the props, they only had so much time there, Ian. So. I, yeah. I, I want to know if, if I could get one of those, like, as a prop, because I was – I don't know whatever happened to the props in this movie, but I, I would put one of those in my house. <laughs> That's how you – use for your bed bread drawer, right? There you go. My bread drawer? You don't have a bread drawer? No, I just throw it in the fridge. What would oh, be a bread man. drawer? Pinky's up, Mark. Come on. <laughs> I'm old. Accusing me of being a snob. No. I, that's not a snob. <laughs> My grandmother had a bread, bread drawer. That wasn't being a snob. Um, oh, right next to your caviar attache. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just, it the, the effects, guys, maybe they got paid in exposure. I mean, right, Austin? Uh, Canon had that reputation, especially in the later years, of, of not paying their bills. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and as later it got in the in the run, the the more iffy it became. If, you know, if, if your checks arrived on time, but yeah, they they did not probably did not have very much to spend on this mm -hmm. this movie. One of the things I wonder, hopefully, when I can talk to people for this for the third volume eventually, but I know one of these problems with shooting post apocalyptic post-apocalyptic movies. I, I spoke with David Engelbach, who directed America 3000, which is a mid-1986 canon movie, mm -hmm. which he had to shoot over near their Tel Aviv studios because, according to Golan, desert is desert. It's all going to look the same. <laughs> but his biggest issue was, it was it's called America 3000, the movie. They're in Tel Aviv, and you think of a bombed out, destroyed America, destroyed by nuclear nuclear war, which in that movie it also was. His biggest problem was getting American trash. Oh. And if you want to have, like, bombed out cars, they're not going to be American cars that people are going by. So you only see, like, one van in this movie, and I think maybe it's a Volkswagen or something <laughs> they would put all over the world. But um, his original idea was to have all of these iconic logos and like billboards that they could use that were burned up and they couldn't get that because it was too expensive you know you could bring in you know 200 horses for a scene a cavalry charge but if you wanted to get a wrecked cadillac you could it was too expensive for canon to send it to you and wow. that's why i think it's funny in this movie i was what what i was watching for i'm like what tells us this is america like right. we get the license plate at the beginning we get the zoom in of the license plate that's charleston south carolina sets up for a very important setting <laughs> It was also the setting of like the second half of the movie Cyborg, mm -hmm. which is this reason they did chose it for this. I'm I'm sure, but the other thing was just an American flag hanging in whatever that weird bunker or bedroom that Austin had, and he yeah. took her to for a while. There were and a couple of those in there, a couple yeah. of flags in different places, yeah. But you think of like it's only been 17 years since America was destroyed. This would look. You know, a little more like America rather than the inside of an Israeli soap factory. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it, no, it doesn't. It, you know, society took a turn real quick, apparently. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just curious whether they had the same issues where right. it's, you know, 
oh, let's get some American props. No, no, it's too expensive, too expensive. You know, empty warehouses are empty warehouses. It's, you know, like dirty factories are dirty factories, wherever you go. Just, <laughs> just ocean is ocean. <laughs> ocean is ocean. Just don't show the mountains behind you. There you go. Right? <laughs> like, 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 you was at a rumble in the Bronx and you had mountains in the background. <laughs> it's like, I love you, Jackie Chad, but that is not the Bronx. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't there a Steven Seagal? Was it hard to kill? It takes place in Chicago, and there's like palm trees and mountains <laughs> in the background for the big chases. <laughs> yeah, there was. A, I mean, they didn't have. I, I you point out a good point, Austin, because I, I talked on another podcast uh, with a friend who loves Cyborg. You know, just Jean Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me wonder if this was at one point supposed to be a script to be a sequel, like a direct sequel for sure. Because I could almost see Van Damme in the steel in Austin's role in many ways. <laughs> well, so Canon for a while, you know, and then in the early '90s, they were pushing a cyborg. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab something. Unfortunately, our audio oh, listeners okay. aren't going to be able to see, but anyone on on video, oh, they were trying to sell cyborg too. Look at that poster. That's and, beautiful. Yeah, it's one of their sales ads they would have taken to sure. um, the the different uh, markets to Can right. to uh, MeFed and things like that to try to sell the film. But then it, by this point, they were so <laughs> so in such financial dire straits that they sold off the rights to Cyborg. Wow. Or I don't know what they got for it, but there ended up being a movie, a cyborg too, with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, a very early role from her, and that was not supposed to be a cyborg movie. That was a movie that was already completed, and people were like, "We need to tie. We need to get better exposure for this." So they went and approached <laughs> Canon to buy the rights to Cyborg, and they inserted some flashbacks at the beginning of the movie. So it was. It's something Canon would have done to another right. franchise, <laughs> you know, 10 years earlier. But by this point, it was happening to them. <laughs> so it, it all comes it, around, apparently. <laughs> it wouldn't I it wouldn't have surprised me if this was at some point mm-hmm. in the development process right. or even in the ideas phase meant to be. I mean, but I think also they're crafty enough. It, Yoram Globus probably thought. The, you know, you can, we can still call it cyborg. We can still put cyborg in the title. There's, <laughs> there's no reason that, you know, we can sell it in the same way. We can make our marketing look like yeah. our, our prior film. And yeah, it's a, it's a shame that, I mean, I love Boaz Davidson as a director. He's a, he's a director that has two very interesting modes. He can make these very personal films like Lemon Popsicle and remade as Last American Virgin. But he's also somebody who can just take a job. He can, they need somebody to direct <laughs> Hospital Massacre and he's available and he'll do it. And that's sort of what happened here with American Cyborg Steel Warrior. But I also wonder at some point, like, oh, what would this movie have looked like if Albert Pyun had had oh. the chance to direct it? It would have been <laughs> visually crazy. I mean, this would have been during his like nemesis years and like when that franchise was going. But I, a part of me is a little sad that that Albert Pyun didn't <laughs> didn't do a Cyborg two for Canon. I guess that's what I'm getting at. That that would have been amazing. I would have I would have liked to see that because Cyborg <laughs> is just 
that's a whole nother film. It's like, wow, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's what I like about, you know, Canon especially, but even some other independent studios that aren't quite, they're always just looking for something different. And Canon always felt like, you know, whatever you're going to get, it's, it's going to be interesting, especially if they made it proper. And Cyborg, yeah, is crazy. That film. And this one I could definitely have seen. I would have loved to seen Pune take even this one on. This would have been fun for him, I think. But it feels like, I mean, if you if you read the description, if you just read, like, dialogue from the script and the, the premise, it feels like an Albert Pune movie. It, yeah. It's it, just missing that sort of, like, extra level of craziness that <laughs> would have would have come with that. Yeah, you would have, you would have had, like, the cyborg, like, see more parts of him or something you know mm -hmm. but although i gotta say the disemboweling of the uh of the cyborg at the end um is he's like having his parts ripped out of him and there's like the, almost like this long umbilical cord that austin is, is pulling on i mean that was again that's something i hadn't i've not really seen before because usually when someone like you you punch into a robot or something you see the hand go into the stomach and that's kind of it and they short circuit and they fall over this you really get the sense that there's work to it because he's he's this unstoppable killing machine which means he's not going to stop until everything is like <laughs> stripped out of him and that's essentially what we see oh yeah we see that here well you also get the part later on because he ends up cutting our Terminators, yes, we're just calling him that. Our our, <laughs> our Terminators arm off, and it's sitting there, and he had his arm ripped off, and it just good. Luckily, it was the one he needed. You know that he had he cut off the right arm, <laughs> and he had the right arm cut off. So you know it wasn't this awkward thumbs on the wrong side or whatever. That would have been great, like playing with a backwards <laughs> arm attached. To you. That's already the best. The best idea that they could have used. They would have had to shoot do bad guys like, in front oh, and back. Yeah. Gosh, what was the horror movie that came out this year with like malignant? Monster? Malignant. Yes, yes. They would have had to do something like that, <laughs> slapping them behind them, walking around like that. But he he sews the cyborg arm back. You know, his enemy's arm onto his his arm, and I'm like. Okay, I didn't expect that. You know, I'm watching this no. type of film, and I'm like, oh, he's going to walk around with a stump or something or, you know, stick a pipe because there's plenty of pipes uh, on the arm. But he actually pulls like a Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> and he, he sews up the arm again, and he uses it. And they don't do a thing like, oh, since he has his enemy's arm, his enemy can control it or anything. He's just got now a bad guy arm, you know? <laughs> That would have been interesting. I, I was wondering if they were trying to do something with like nanotechnology, because at one point, um, Mary remarks that Austin's wound is healed or yeah. something like that. Um, so I just thought that like the you know, little nano critters were stitching him back together. And that's what I kind of thought was going on with the arm. But no, he was yeah literally sitting there like <laughs> sewing. I don't know where he found that found that equipment, but uh, it was it was a good effect. And I also like the fact that our Terminator, when he shows up later, has like a fully regrown, it's like a black arm that I guess yeah. that he just, you know, generated somehow. Well, you That's know, a neat idea. He, it, yeah. And again, a lot of neat ideas in this that my wife, my wife was sitting in a living room with me half watching. She was, she was like, yeah, and we're still married. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> we're sitting, I'm watching this and she's just shaking her head. She looks up every so often. She goes, 
Why are they trying to kiss? Every time they try to kiss, the the cyborg guy shows up. They're like, if they would not do that, the cyborg guy, because it was like every time they tried to kiss, all of a sudden, bad guy shows up. Um, That'd be really funny if they were trying to, like, trap the cyborg, but they didn't know where he was. They could just, like, lean in to kiss each other, and then he would bust through the door. <laughs> And then the water, bucket of water falls over onto him on the top of the door. <laughs> it's short. American, American cyborg home alone warrior. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is a, it's not Shakespeare. But it's still entertaining, I think. Uh, we, that we, could go we, on the we, poster. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not Shakespeare, but it's entertaining. Um, especially for, you know, Especially the way this ends, we we literally get Mary doing the dramatic as dramatic as possible. She had to have been directed that way, grabbing the boat and just leaning kind of forward as it as it drives off, and she's just all epic pose <laughs> as she's driving away, and not like you know she's just like, and then to the music, and he just walks off. I've got to go help the other people. Um, never mind the fact we've never, though, at the end of the film, I still don't know what RZB is. Oh, that's the, uh, the radiation, uh, medication or whatever to, um, they never took it though. They were supposed to be going through hot spots. He he takes a shot of one of the pills at some point. Does he? I didn't even notice, but they were supposed to be going through hot spots and taking it regularly. And she still had like a pocket full of pills. Uh, I, yeah. I told I by the end of this movie I'd forgotten all about the art. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that was the motivation of of having Steel Warrior guy with her, and she was going to give him all the RZB he wants, because he for some reason believed she was a dealer. <laughs> I like that they, you know, another movie this reminded me of was uh, was Streets of Fire. Mm. Um, you know, you got some of the same character dynamics. You know, Carp. It could be argued as sort of the Amy Madigan character of this mm. movie. But at the end, you've got the 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 lone hero who says, OK, you got to go off and live your life, you know, instead of you know, she's not a rock star. In this case, she's you know the, the mother of the savior of the world. But he goes off to be alone. But in their parting conversation, he says, I know the system. I can beat them. He's going off to, like, save society, save America, basically, from the machines. I want to know how he knows the system. He just found out he was a damn cyborg. <laughs> what is what is he going to do? <laughs> You have oh. to wait for American Cyborg Steel Warrior 2. Yeah, and I'm sure they expected that to uh, <laughs> follow immediately. Because why yeah. not, right? I mean, this one, they, I'm sure they had money. They figured they were printing money. They were like, yeah, we got this. Terminator 2's coming out. It just came out, excuse me, Terminator 2 just came out. Cyborgs are big. You know, it oh. just, I mean, but they did kick off, Canon did kick off the Ninja craze which austin i was very surprised to read about never even thought about till i read it in your book uh canon film guide volume one pick it up now folks um see i'm just a shill uh but what i was surprised (laughs) reading about it is i never realized until it was mentioned in your book that ninjas really weren't in the american cinema until the first enter the ninja movie and how canon of all studios started a ninja trend (laughs) One of the few examples where they were ahead of they they were the trendsetters rather than the trend followers. It's 
Really, yeah, it is impressive. A lot of a lot of what we see as part of nin- ninja mythology is there because of guys like Shokasugi, Makangolan, <laughs> and Mike Stone. What they <laughs> what they brought to to the, the, our our screens. Yeah, yeah ninja ninja mania started started there. That just that boggled my mind that they started it. But after it was mentioned, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess, yeah. It, it's like. <laughs> Everything you see in those films is what we've seen in every other ninja movie, mm-hmm. especially U.S. ninja movies. And maybe they were trying to do that the same with cyborgs, you know, but they were a little behind the curve because Terminator came out before them. So, but, uh, you know, still we get we get this interesting film. And uh, your final thoughts with American Cyborg Steel Warrior. We'll start with you, Ian. Um, I had fun with it. You know, it wasn't the best of the the canon films we've discussed, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those instances where I just wish it had been a better movie or perhaps handled by what I'm going to say is like a real studio. I know that's kind of a knock, but you know, because <laughs> I yeah, I think there's some some cool ideas in here. And I again, Mark, I sent you a picture of what Ted Turner looks like. I don't know if there's a way you can share that on the screen or post it later, but I mean, yeah, you got to get a side by side of that and. <laughs> The robot from this movie is amazing. <laughs> I'll see if I can. I'll I'll send the link later to uh, Austin. I, I'll send that to you. Uh, All right. And, and, and speaking of Austin, first, uh, thank you for joining us. And, and your final thought with American Cyborg Steel Warrior. Well, I I do think this is a very very appropriate note for for Canon to go out on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if if this company and their wacky history is going to have one movie be their final theatrical release, the final thing to send out around the country. It just feels so right that it's American Cyborg Steel Warrior. The, the only thing they could have added, American Cyborg Steel Warrior Ninja Breakdance Force. And that's the only, oh my God. the only thing that would have made this a more appropriate canon title. We've got to make that movie now, American Cyborg Steel Warrior Ninja Breakdance Force. There you go. That should be the name of the Canon Film Guide Volume 3. There you go. Keep that in mind. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there you have it, folks. Uh, Ninjas, uh, American Cyborg Steel Warrior. I, I agree. Uh, it is an appropriate film for Canon to kind of have that as their theatrical swan song. Because uh, it's got the canon elements and the tropes and the things that you become associated with over the years that they've been around. And speaking over the years, Austin, I always give a license to shill, and I've been shilling your book quite <laughs> proudly because I read through this, and every time I read through some chapters out of movie just before I watch it or just after, I'm like, more revelations that are just fascinating. Uh, license to ch- shill for you, sir. What you got coming up with the volume two? Uh, volume two, Canon Film Guide, 1985 to 1987, uh, early 2022. I should have the release window very, very soon. Mm. But yeah, it covers only three years, but it's a gigantic book. Canon was extremely prolific from 85 to 87. This is the time when they were shooting to put a movie into theaters every weekend of the year and wow. they almost they almost pulled it off in 86 which is just crazy <laughs> that's how you get so many movies where you have weekends where canon movies are competing against each other in this book and it's just 
it's 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 a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun working on this one, and there's some great movies in there: Runaway Train, Delta, uh, the Delta Force series, Invasion USA, the American Ninja series, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, Space uh, Life Force. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I, I said that, but yeah, it's it's a great great uh, chunk of years, and really, it contains a lot of the movies that people think of first when they think of canon. So I'm, I'm so excited to get this book out there in the world. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, just following you, uh, it, it sounds like you've put a lot of work into it. Uh, what were uh, just a little tidbit, because I love to have you back on the show when the volume two gets released, because I got many questions. I'm sure I'll have many more when I read the book, but for your interviews, because uh, you, you you have a bunch of them in here that were surprising, like uh, in interviewing for, uh, I think it was Ninja Domination 3, you interviewed actually the boyfriend and you interviewed, uh, you know, uh, I, I just was surprised. Uh, who's it? Uh, Kasugi's uh, son you interviewed, I believe it was in there. Um, what can we expect as far as interviews? Any 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 surprises that you got responses from? For oh, there. I mean, speaking of Ninja Three, I, I've got Lucinda Dickey in this one. Nice. So she, I, I wasn't able to catch her for the first one, but mm-hmm. the first one's out there, and I, I, I got a hold of her, and yes, yeah, so I've, I've got her store, her canon story in here. Um, some people that were really, I mean, one that I'm so excited about is Michael Dudikoff. Um, oh wow! <laughs> so that was that was a dream come true. My wife <laughs> jokes that I only started writing these books so that. Michael Dudikoff would one day acknowledge my existence. Um, <laughs> it's it's a, that that was that was a, just a yeah a dream interview. Just so many fun ones. I've got Wings Hauser in here talking about wow. tough guys don't dance. Who's wow. a wild wild man? Um, I've got great yeah great in, just so many people like that that I never <laughs> I did not expect to get a yes from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm I'm so pumped to have it out there. There's yeah there's. Uh, gosh, I believe 40 interviews in this one. So I, wow. I don't know the exact counts, but that, that's yeah, a, that's a book in itself. <laughs> yeah. It's twice as many interviews, more than twice as many than were in the first book. So lots of great, great canon stories. Well, very impressive. And we are definitely looking forward to it. And where can they follow your stuff at to keep up to date of when they can get all this uh, juicy stuff? Uh, it's just at Canon Film Guide, both on Facebook and Twitter. So I, I post a lot of stuff on there that was well, fun for me because there's so many things about the movies in the first book that I couldn't, I just didn't know or I didn't, mm-hmm. I learned since writing it and I can share them on there so I can keep <laughs> the, getting the Canon information that didn't get into the books, mm-hmm. but also visual things. I've got thousands, thousands of pages of just canon materials, marketing materials, books, posters for movies that were made and movies that weren't made over a hundred canon projects that never made it to the screen. And that's just stuff that social media is perfect for just sure. sharing those things that <laughs> there, there, there's only so, <laughs> so many pages in a book. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you do because I follow you and, and you get occasionally those uh, posts of uh, old movie schedules and seeing what other movies were showing at the same time just takes me back going, I want to go to that theater now. Right now. <laughs> like... well, there's, I, I was looking back to see what was playing and there's one small movie. It was not a small movie theater that was playing with American Cyborg Steel Warrior. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote down the movies because it cracked me up so much. 
So you what you're walking into, I don't know if this I think this was somewhere in Florida, a small movie theater, and you you can see one of these movies. The four movies were American Cyborg Steel Warrior, Sister Act Two, Beethoven Two, and Cabin Boy. <laughs> Did that theater serve alcohol? Because I think they or allow carry-ins? Because wow. Hopefully. That's like, a suicide, that's like a suicide watch quadruple feature right there. <laughs> They had a helpline. They had a helpline out there and everything. <laughs> wow, that is definitely an interesting. That's an interesting collection of of movies. On that. Well, January ninety four was a. Well, when when January used to actually be the legit dumping ground of movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Ian, uh, what about you, sir? License to shill, as always. I can't follow that. Uh, no, um, yeah, I'm, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at uh, kickseat.com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is uh, just look up Kicking the Seat on YouTube. We do um, interviews and reviews and roundtables and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, this week, I think Wednesday. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we're doing uh, starting a new live stream series covering the Book of Boba Fett on uh, Disney Plus. So that'll be Wednesday, the 29th. Is that right? Maybe. That, yeah. yeah, that'd be uh, yeah. yeah 8.30 p.m. Central, so come on over. We'd love to have people check that out. And, um, yeah, that's my that's my deal. <laughs> and I want to thank our special crew member tonight, Austin. Thank you so much for being in the spoiler room with us. Thanks uh, so much for having it. me. This is, this is a blast. And, yeah, thanks, man. And you get to do it. It's the final. I, I talked to Ian, and he said, you can fire the cannon. Now, next year, our special series is the horror of 1988 because there was so much horror films released in 1988. It boggles my mind at the sheer volume of horror that are a lot known. So that's our special series for next year. And we're going to start having people take a stab at the horror and picking the movie. But since you are the canon guru and it is an honor to be here to, with you, you get to fire the canon one last time. So how we do this is pick a number between 1 through 12. We'll take a shot at the horror of 88 and see what film is going to be our first horror of 88 special for 2022. So pick a number between 1 and 12. Austin. All right. Letting the fuse. I'm going to go with six right in the middle. Six center. Six right in the middle. Okay. I hope this isn't too loud for anyone. In true cannon explosion and wow, number six, we are kicking it off with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Awesome. Ah. <laughs> So now I'm going to have to figure out next month if we're going to cover the other uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films, one through three, or how we're going to work that. So ah, excellent choice. Always a pleasure. Thank you for folks who tune into the live. And if you don't catch us live, always catch us on the iTunes and whatever your podcast feeder is. Canon Film Guide Volume 1 is out now. Get it. Canon Film Guide Volume 2. Can't wait for that. That, that war and peace of of film knowledge for sure so until then folks we just say good night everyone night night